Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10, says this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we give you thanks. Uh, All the things we've sung are true. We adore you in joy. You are worthy of our blessings and you've given us 10,000 reasons and more to honor you. And you are indeed what we want to be our vision. God, we want to know you. We want you to be at the heart of all that we are and all that we do. And I would pray that this morning you'll open your word to us and I pray that you will clarify your gospel to us and I pray that in all things you will be magnified. Lord, show us your goodness. Show us your glory. We ask it in Christ's holy name. Amen. You can be seated. So, I want to begin with the question, what do you want to hear first, the good news or the bad news? We all, we, you know, the, the, the majority vote is always bad news. Have you ever noticed that? And we hear this question, and it's almost always bad news first, why? Because we want to hear, or we're hoping, deep down, that the good news that comes at the end is going to outweigh the bad. That's kind of what we think, right? And we want, at the end of both newses, that we would feel okay. And I think Paul understood the whole bad news, good news thing, because we see him use that pattern right here in Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. Both the good news and the bad news in this passage is about you. Now, this passage is your story as it fits into the bigger picture of God's ultimate story. And this morning, I intend to share with you the bad news, the good news, and how we need to respond to both. And you should see in this a glorious truth. You should see that you're worth a great deal. But that you are worth a great deal not in the way you might think. Now, I'm going to give you four sermon points. So, are you note-takers, by the way? Is that how you, uh, you guys work? Yes. Okay, well, feel free. You've got room for four main points. You can write notes all around it, but there's going to be four things you need to know, okay? So, first one is this. By the way, I never sneak sermon points up on you, because I figure if you want to write them down, the last thing we want is you to be going, what did he say? What did he say it was? So, first point Remember who you were. Okay? Our first point 
is remember who you were. And it's in Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This might well be called the bad news section of the text because it paints for us a very dark and very grim picture of our reality. Often you will hear Christians tell the lost, you need to be saved. You've probably used that term before, haven't you? But sadly, many Christians cannot or will not explain to the lost person from what or from whom they need to be saved. Well, Paul here in explaining the grace of God doesn't leave that up for discussion. He makes it plain exactly why we all need to be saved, rescued from great eternal danger. So if you're a Christian here this morning, listen to this to be reminded by God of who you once were. God makes it plain that this text applies to every single one of us, not some, all of us. Because not one of us in this room has a clean record. Not one of us has a spotless background. Not one of us deserved anything good from God. So for us, we need to remember exactly who it is that we were so that we can properly glorify God for what he's done. Now, I'm also going to say this to you, and you might wonder why I do this, but it's very feasible that there's somebody here this morning who doesn't yet know Jesus. I understand that. Even whether we're a large gathering or a small gathering, you never know who in the room has yet to know Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you haven't made up your mind about Christianity, as gently as I can, I want to let you know that, first of all, you're welcome here. We're glad that you're here. But I want you to know that this passage is going to describe you and your present condition before God. You need to be saved. You need to be rescued. And as this section is read, we're going to see why. Okay? So verse 1, Paul tells us that we were all dead in sins and trespasses. Now, Have you ever seen one of those moments where the speaker reads a verse and then he says, now what the Greek word behind this really means? You ever have those moments? I want you to know this is an important one, okay? Look at that word dead in your Bible. It says you were dead in sins and trespasses. Now, there's a Greek word, of course, because this was written in Greek, behind that word dead. Here's what it really means. Dead. (laughs) You need to know that, right? There's nothing... Fancy about this passage. The Bible says that we, when we did not know Christ, and all who, were, who have not yet come to faith in Christ, are spiritually dead. We were dead in sins and trespasses. And to be dead is to be unable to do anything. Unresponsive. Completely without life. Thus, the person who is spiritually dead is unable to do a single thing that would please God. Now, lost people, people who don't yet know Jesus, they are capable of doing all kinds of good deeds, aren't they? Some of them are nicer than we are. Let's be honest. But Isaiah 64, 6 tells us that all of the good works of somebody who's outside the family of God, they're like filthy rags in the sight of a holy God because no matter how good the behavior of a person outside of the faith, the Bible says that they are completely stuck in and lost in sins and trespasses. 
Paul goes on to say that, that we, we, you and me, we formerly walked in those sins and in those trespasses. We, we lived either falling short of the standard of perfection or sometimes intentionally going too far and crossing the line against God's command. That's who we were. And we were spiritually dead and we lived our lives always in that state, the walking dead in the grip of sin. And we lived, though we, whether we knew it or not, we followed the pattern of the world around us and of the devil himself. Paul calls him here the prince of the power of the air. Paul says, by the way, the devil's at work in the sons of disobedience, all of those who fail to follow Jesus. He says that we used to live among those people. We fulfilled, fulfilled the desires of our sinful flesh. We were captive to the passions of our bodies and of our minds. We lived based on what we thought seemed right or what felt good. Didn't mean we were always trying to do what was wrong, but we were stuck in a manner of thinking that was worldly and could never please God. And then, at the end of verse 3, the bad news gets as bad as it can get. Paul says, We were by nature children of wrath. God was saying to us there, when we were outside of His grace, we were, we were children of His grace. His wrath. We were ready to inherit His judgment, His anger, His fury over sin. We had sinned before God. We had failed to live up to His glory. We had tried to live according to our best thoughts and our pleasures and we were under the condemnation of God and we were destined for destruction and we deserved it. So is that about bad enough news? It's kind of like the end of that psalm in Sunday school, isn't it? So Christians, I call upon you by the word of God to think seriously about what God says here. He wants you to see that before you came to Jesus, you were dead. You were incapable of doing anything good. You were able to do as much to please God as a corpse can do to respond to the people who file through a funeral line. You lived according to the pattern of the world. You lived according to the will of the devil. You lived according to your own desires. You were an object of the wrath of God. You were destined for destruction. You were destined for hell itself. We've got to think about those things so that we can properly thank God for grace. Knowing from what you were saved is vital to the Christian. And if you're here today without ever having put your faith in Jesus, you need to see those words as a description of your present state. You're in great danger before God, and you can't do a single thing to make things right with God on your own. You've sinned like I've sinned. You're dead in your sins. You need to be rescued. You need to be revived by God. You need to be made alive. You need to be saved. That's the Bible's word often used for it. And thankfully, God has done the work that needs to be done for that to happen. So, we've seen where we come from. Let's look to the good news and see what it is God did to turn this dark, ugly story into something glorious. So, point number two on your outlines, or if you're making your outlines, remember the love and mercy God showed you in Christ. Remember the love and mercy God showed you in Christ. Look at verses 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy, 
because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, the two words that open this section, but God, may be the most beautiful two words you'll ever hear. See, you and I were dead. You and I had sinned before God. You and I were destined for deserved wrath. But God did something. But God stepped in. But God made a difference. But God brought the good news. Now, before we see what he did, let's look at a couple reasons why he did it. First, God did what he did because he is rich in mercy. Throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, God has revealed himself to us as the Lord, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. God has always been incredibly merciful. And if God were not merciful, he would simply destroy us all at the moment of our first sin. By the way, how old would you have made it? Don't want to talk about that, right? I can tell you what, I've got a three-year-old that would be out. <laughs> he can be a beastie sometimes. If God were not merciful, he would squash us at our first sin, and that would be the end of the story. If God were not merciful, he would never have even revealed to us what he expects us to do to please him. He would have just told us to figure it out on our own. And we wouldn't do that well. If God were not merciful, we would have no hope at all. God also did what he did because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our sins. God's love for his creation is something deeper than we could ever grasp. And the fact that God loved us even when we were dead in our sins makes it clear that he didn't love us because of something good we did. He loved us because and only because he chose to do so. He loves us because it fits who he is. We can take no credit for the love of God. He didn't owe it to us and we didn't earn it. He just loved us and that's all we can say. And now we get what he did. Even when we were dead in our sins, God made us alive together with Christ. That's a reference back to the resurrection of Jesus. Just as God physically raised Jesus from the dead, God took dead sinners like you and me and he raised us from the dead spiritually. Isn't that cool? I still love the picture that uh, I've heard R.C. Sproul use and some others where you know, some people will picture our salvation as we were the drowning man in the lake, just about to go under. And God threw a life preserver and we grabbed it at the last second. And they say to you, that's not the Bible's picture. The Bible didn't picture you as dying. It pictures us as dead. We weren't drowning. We were the corpse on the bottom of the lake that God brings up and breathes life into. He took us while we were dead and made us alive. That is grace. The fact that we were raised together with Christ also tells us that we cannot be made alive spiritually through any other way. We were raised with Christ. He's the only way. He's the only hope. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to God but through Him. Now, how did that happen? God knew we were sinners before Him. 
God knew we were sinners who could never repay the debt that we owe for our sins. Why can we not do that? God is holy. How holy is he, you ask? How holy is God? Is there an end to it? God's infinite in his holiness and perfections, right? It never ends. Well, our sin falls short of that holiness and it offends God and his perfect justice and infinitely so. So God had to make a way that an infinite price could be paid for our sins if we were ever to be forgiven. And that is why Jesus, the infinitely perfect, infinitely holy Son of God, came to earth. He lived a perfect life. Then he died on the cross of Calvary, though he never did anything wrong. And while on the cross, God the Son received from God the Father all of his wrath, an infinite amount, for all of the sins of all who would ever come to him. Christ fully paid the infinite penalty for our sins before God. And then, after his death, he rose from the grave three days later, proving for everyone to see that the work was done and the sacrifice was accepted by God. And Christ offers to anyone who would come to him and have faith in him complete forgiveness of sins, of every sin, and life together with God forever. So for you and me, Christ rose from the grave and brought us up with him. And everyone who places their faith in Jesus, everyone who has been made new by Jesus, has been raised up together with him. And then Paul can't help, right in the middle of his sentence, right in the middle of it, he just stops and he has to shout out, by grace you have been saved. However you might describe the plan of salvation, One thing's clear. It is a salvation by grace. We did nothing, absolutely nothing, to earn it. God did it all. And then after Jesus rose from the dead, it says he ascended to heaven and sat down beside his Father on the throne of the universe. That's what Paul's pointing to in verse 6, where he says God raised us up and seated us with Christ. See, We're not just forgiven by Christ. We don't just get a new life together with Jesus. No, 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 no. We also have a promise of future grace, future blessing. And it's such a sure thing that Paul speaks of it as if it were already done. That's a biblical tool often used by the authors. He has raised us up with Christ. And that is to say that he will one day take us to heaven to be with Christ. He will seat us with Christ on the throne of his kingdom. We who are children of God will inherit all the glorious blessings of his grace that were purchased for us in Christ. You know, all those blessings are already ours. We just wait for the day when we die or Jesus returns so we can take possession of all of them because they're already given to us in Jesus. Oh, I know it's the whole already and not yet thing, but that's how this works. So Christians, I want to call you to remember the love and the mercy God showed you in Christ. You were dead, but God made you alive together with Christ. You were living according to this world, but God raised you up to the heavenly places with Christ. You were destined for God's wrath and for hell itself, but God has given you a place with Christ in glory. This is ultimate mercy, and God showed it to you. Why? Because of his great love and mercy. It's all of grace. Remember that and give thanks to God. 
for what he's done for you. And if you're, again, someone not yet a believer, see this as a call to come to Jesus because if you will put your faith in Jesus, if you'll turn away from your sin, God will have already made you alive. God will give you forgiveness of your sins. God will grant you a place in heaven and you will no longer be under his wrath. See, the reason this is good news is not because God says, oh, you're okay. The reason this story is good news is that God knows we're not okay, but he made a way for us to be forgiven. And let me be clear, there's only one way to be forgiven, Jesus Christ. You're either going to be forgiven by coming to Christ, or you're going to be under the wrath of God for eternity. That's your choice, and I urge you to choose wisely. Now, we have remembered the love and the mercy that God shows us in Christ. So let's go on and see one way we respond. Point number three, for those of you keeping score. Give God 100% of the glory for anyone's salvation. Give God 100% of the glory for anyone's salvation. Verses 7 through 9. So that... In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Bless you. Again. Are there more? I'm just checking. I... Mitzi sneezes five times at a chunk, and so I just wanted to be sure we were all okay. <laughs> Verse 7 here is one more reason that we see that why God has chose, chosen to do the things that he did for us, okay? That, so that, says he did this, so that, in order that, because of, so we're watching for the cause and effect, right? Why did God choose to do this? Why would God save me? Have you ever asked that question, by the way? Why would God save me? Why did God raise me up? Why did he give me a place in heaven? And the answer to those questions is in verse 7. And it is marvelous. And it's different than most people think. Paul says, God did all this so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God saved you, if you're saved, so that he can demonstrate something. God wanted to show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Now, let's imagine something together. Imagine for a moment there are two angels walking around in heaven. And one looks to the other and he says, how great are the riches of God's love? I don't know if that's how angels talk, but let's go with it. How great are the riches of God's mercy? How big is his kindness? Well, the second angel just turns. And see, he doesn't have to say a word. He just has to point. He could point to me. Perhaps he would point to you. And by just pointing us out, he would show the ultimate evidence for anyone to see that God is loving, merciful, gracious, kind, and good. Why? Why is that true? Because I'm a sinner. I have failed God time and time again. 
for goodness sakes, I'll continue to do so. I don't want to, but I do. It's just true. For God to forgive me my sins is glorious. For God to give me a place in heaven, that's more than glorious. But there's not an English word to express how great that is. His riches of mercy and kindness to me have been immeasurable. And so if anybody wants to ask, at any time, if God is really merciful, he just has to point to me. I am a demonstration. I am a proof. I am an evidence of just how gracious God is. Think about that for yourself. When a sports team wins a championship, any of you ever root for teams that actually win championships, by the way? I don't know who you guys like, so some of us do. Uh, If your sports team wins a championship, or if your favorite Olympic athlete wins his competition or her competition, what happens? What do they get? They get a, a trophy, right? The Olympic athlete might get a medal. What does it do? The trophy proves for everyone to see that you were a part of the winning team. So you, if you're a believer, you're a trophy. You will live as an eternal proof and demonstration of the great love and kindness that God demonstrated in Christ. You are a trophy of the grace of God and you will forever be proof and evidence of the holy perfections of our Lord. That's not a bad role to play, by the way. Now, how do you and I prove God's grace? For it is by grace you were saved. Grace is a goodness given to you that you did not deserve. You cannot do anything to earn grace or it's not grace anymore. You were saved by grace. How? Through faith. Now it's even more clear, right? You did nothing to earn your salvation. You did not do religious works to get into God's graces. If you're saved, you're saved because you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. It's not that you had faith and added right deeds to save yourself. It's not that you had faith and were baptized that you go to heaven. It's not that you had faith and took communion or went to church or built a hospital that sends you to heaven. No, no, no. That doesn't save your soul. If you're saved, you're saved by God's grace alone through the vehicle of faith alone. And the Bible says, this is not your own doing. He's saying, if you're saved, you're saved through faith. And just in case you're about to get proud of yourself for having been smart enough or good enough to have faith, while those other silly people don't, God lets you know. Your faith is not of your own making. It was a gift given to you by God. Because what were you? In verse 1, you were dead. Can dead people have faith? Not so much. For a dead person to respond in faith is for that person to have already been made alive by God. And that means we cannot take credit for any part of our salvation from start to finish.
Not one little bit. If you're saved, you're saved by grace through a faith that was given to you by God. And there's a nice little bow that Paul ties on the package of salvation when he says that if we're saved, we're not saved as a result of works because God does not want us to be able to boast. God is clear that you and I must never boast about our salvation, at least not in ourselves. The only thing that we brought to the table here was our sin. God brought the love, the mercy, and the payment for our sins. God made us alive when we were dead. God gave us the grace. God even gave us the faith. And so we boast only that God is great and that we are saved by an awesome and glorious God. So Christians, let this point remind you... Give God 100% of the glory for your salvation. Don't do, don't say anything that gives you credit for being saved. Thank God, because your salvation comes from Him completely, and it's for Him completely, as you will be an eternal trophy of His kindness. By the way, I've just got to go off note for a second and remind you, how cool is this? So what do you get to be forever? You get to be an eternal proof that God is good by him pouring out his goodness on you. Someone might say, well, that's demeaning. I want to be more than a trophy. That's just dumb. If God wants to show his goodness by eternally pouring out kindness and grace and goodness on me, I'll take it. Won't you? Now, if you're here and you're not yet a believer... You've got to recognize you can't bring anything to the table to earn your salvation. You can't be a good boy or a good girl and get into heaven. It doesn't work that way. God's never going to be impressed by our goodness. Because if God were to do that, if God were to let us into heaven because we were good, we could brag all over the new creation that we got ourselves in. And that's never going to happen. The only thing we can do is come to Jesus, ask for his grace, come to him in faith, and he forgives us. But all the credit goes to God who gets all the glory for everyone's salvation. So I do encourage you to come. Come and receive that grace through faith in Christ and give God the glory. Now, all that talk about faith alone at the end here, that may make you think, well, wait a minute, does that mean we now get to be lazy and we don't have to do any good works? Man, it's just, ah, I'm saved and now I can just be whatever I want to be. It doesn't matter. No, of course not. Of course we're supposed to do good works but it comes after salvation you see that in the last point point number four live a life full of good works after you're saved live a life full of good works after you're saved verse 10 says for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them so wrapping up the section, Paul says, you are God's workmanship. And that word is a word that comes from the word of art or craftsmanship. God calls those of us who are saved his works of art. Have you ever felt like God kind of likes abstract art? <laughs> you think it through. And by the way, how many of you looked at somebody right then? If you did, shame on you. <laughs> Don't point at anybody, okay? It's not nice. I don't know what they actually did, so I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> Some of us are more abstract than others. But you know what? In God calling us works of art, he says we exist to display his skill, his craftsmanship, his glory. 
We're works of art created in Christ Jesus. Only through Christ can a dead sinner become a living and breathing work of art, a work that was created to work. In Christ, God made you for the purpose of doing good things. He saved you intending that you would do works that bring honor and glory to God's name. And he prepared those works for you to do when? Beforehand. Before you were ever born. (laughs) Isn't that cool? God already planned for your salvation and for the way you would serve him to bring honor to his name. So Christians, let this last little verse remind you God has a purpose for you besides simply saving you. You didn't do any good works to be saved. But once you are saved, God intends that we do lots of things that bring honor to his name. He's got them planned out for us. He had them planned out for us before he saved us. They were prepared a long, long, long time ago. And what we get to do now is get about the process of doing them for God's glory. God saved us from wrath when we were dead in sins. He made us alive together with Christ. Now it makes sense that we would respond by doing as much as we can to show the world how great is our God. And if you're here this morning without Jesus, recognize good deeds follow salvation. They never come first. Good works can never get you into heaven. You can't clean up to earn your way in. But if you come to Jesus, if you come, he's going to enable you and empower you to do things that please him after your salvation. And let me tell you, nothing will ever satisfy your soul or thrill your heart more than when you come to Jesus, are forgiven of your sins, and actually do the works that God made you to do. So we started with the bad news, but the good news is super good. Recognize the state of all who are lost because it's sad and frightening. Let that memory cause you believers to give God thanks for what he's done for you. Let it call you to share the gospel with the lost, by the way. If you've got this kind of great relief over the burden of sin that was on you, how dare we keep it to ourselves? You know we don't exist just for us, right? Even as a church, we don't exist just for us. We want to be about sharing this story with others. Share it so that they can experience the grace that we've experienced. Remember the love and mercy that God showed you in Christ. Give God 100% of the glory for anybody's salvation. All salvation from sin is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And none of us can take personal credit for that salvation for ourselves or for others. But we give all the glory and all the honor to God. And then as we glorify God in salvation, live a life full of good works after you're saved. Let your life reflect the change that God has made in you through the grace of Christ. And finally, again, if you don't know Jesus here this morning for some reason, I urge you, come to know Jesus today. You've heard about your state before him. You're in danger of facing the wrath and the judgment of God. But God has made a way for you to be forgiven in Christ. So come to Jesus. Believe in him. Believe that he's the son of God. Believe that his death can cover your sins. Put your trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for your eternal soul. And God promises to give you mercy. And then, just like I called everybody else here, Give God all the glory for your salvation because you would not have believed apart from him doing the work in your heart. And when it's all said and done, live to give honor to God because of God's glorious grace. Will you pray with me, please? 
Father, I really am grateful for your grace. You really are good. And our prayer, Lord, as we're here, is that you would be magnified in us and that you would let us magnify your grace. Use these truths to encourage our hearts, to deepen our worship. Use these truths to help us to honor you and follow you. And use these truths to stir us toward worship, toward evangelism, toward right thinking. God, in all things, magnify your name. And Lord, even now, as we sing a song of response to you, as we, as we tell you again how great you are and how grateful we are for salvation, that you've made things well with our souls, God, be glorified and let us do the things your word has called us to. It's in Christ's holy name that we pray. Amen.